Shalom Mishbocha. Shalom family. Mishbocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. <laughs> We're the Mishbocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishbocha, to blow the grandest shofar, or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone, everywhere, to hear the good news. We want everyone, everywhere, to be red hot for the Messiah. Now, my guest, Larry Randolph, is a prophet. He's been a guest previously on Messianic Vision. And uh, when you were on television with us, Larry, you stated a prophecy that then came to pass. Uh, do you remember the prophecy? And, uh, and tell us what it was. I do, Sid. It was 2008. I believe I was on your program, and the Lord had given me a string of uh, insight into what was happening. And one of the things that was interesting was he showed me that a young man that was famous in Hollywood was going to die you know, um, shortly. And I believe it was a month or two after the show aired that, uh, that this um, young man, which was um, Heath uh, Ledger, I believe was his name, and, and um, that was the one I think you're making reference to. Yeah, and we had a lot of people write in, and they reminded me after you were on the air. But uh, I want I want to find out more about you. Uh, your, your father was a prophetic uh, pastor. Uh, your great uncle had quite a ministry. Tell me about him. Uncle Newton was his name. My grandfather's brother, my great uncle, uh, was born blind. He was blind from uh, birth and never saw the light of day. But he had an incredible uh, healing ministry, from what I understand from my family. Uh, people would come to his little house in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they would be cripples and blinds. He had a really gift for opening blind eyes, and he'd been blind his whole life, never saw in his life. And he also had an amazing anointing for, uh, for praying for people out of wheelchairs. So the, uh, there was, the house was filled with crutches and wheelchairs, and, and uh, you know, people gave testimony to that. And my dad sort of picked that gifting up, too, and he, too, had a very, very strong strong healing ministry. However, he was, it was accompanied by a really great prophetic gift. So I grew up in that environment, and uh, um, I must say I caught more of the prophetic maybe than some of the miraculous, um, although I've seen a lot of that. Uh, the prophetic seems to be the thing that really was transferred down through um, the spiritual DNA of my life. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I'm just kind of curious. When did you realize you were walking in that same prophetic gifting as your great uncle and your father? You know, I don't think there was ever a time I didn't know it. It's like that I was born in that culture and born in that environment. We were a very small church. My dad pastored this very, very small church in the backwoods of Arkansas. And, um, and it was, um, <clears throat> I was born in 1950. And by the time I was 53 or 54, I was three or four years old, I was already playing instruments in church and testifying, preaching, going to the jail services with my dad, praying for people, going to nursing homes, prophesying, praying over people. That's what dad did. So I did that with him. So, so Sid, I thought it was normal. I thought everybody did it. I thought the Baptists did it. I thought the Methodists did it. I thought I'd never been anywhere but our little church. I thought everybody did that. So it was a shock to me to find out that it was kind of unusual. So it was very familiar to me, and it just seemed to be something that was living, like a living spirit that was in our family that I picked up on. And uh, I remember one of my first strong prophetic words was at four or five years old, I was get up in the morning to go out and gather eggs because we lived on the eggs that our hens laid. And the Lord um, uh, spoke to my heart. There was an impression in my heart of how many eggs I would find. 
and I went out there, and there was exactly, it was either seven or eight, it's hard to remember that long, but there was exactly the number of eggs the Lord showed me, and I thought, wow, I got this gift. <laughs> now, he, 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 it sounds to me, with a gift like that, a father in ministry, uh, that you wouldn't have had such a a, a bad image of yourself. Uh, how did you, how how'd you just, how, how'd that happen? It partly happened because of a number of things. One, my father we were was uh, very uneducated. He had a third grade education because during the depression he had to leave work school, excuse me, and go to work on a peanut farm with his father. And uh, my mother had a seventh grade education, so uh, they were, I was born into very you know, uneducated class in southern in Arkansas backwards. We were, we were born in abject poverty. The house we lived in was built out of scrap lumber in the 40s. Uh, you could see the air outside. There was no indoor heating. other one little stove. There was no indoor plumbing. No indoor water. And so, um, and not only that, we were considered uh, holy rollers at the time. We were called independent Pentecostals and. Uh, and so because of that, there was just this kind of sense of, of not uh, being uh, worth anything. So I had a uh, self-worth was very low, bad self-esteem, uh, low self-image. I was an introvert. Uh, other than when I was in church, I knew how to preach a little and testify and play mandolin and sing and do a little prophetic. But that was because I was safe in that environment. But, so, so why at age 13 did you run away from home? That's pretty young. Well, a couple things. One— my life was so I was having panic attacks, anxiety attacks when I was five or six years old. And at six years old, they discovered I had rheumatic fever, which mm. is a heart murmur. So I, for, for nearly 10 years, I took penicillin, 10,000 units a day for that. And so by the time I was 13, I added it all up in my mind. And I thought, man, this, this is not working out. Here I am, mm. Here I am reject, you know, rejection, poor, impoverished. I feel isolated. I didn't have a friend in the world. I couldn't talk to people. I was insecure. Uh, my grades at school were terrible. I had rheumatic fever, a heart murmur. We were poor. And I thought, I don't want to be a part. I don't want to serve this God. I don't want to serve uh, this, you know, the, the God that my father's serving. Although I love God, and I was, you know, I just said, uh, something something is different. So I think I'm going to be a rock star. So that's what I did. I left the church at 13 and began to uh, play nightclubs for seven years every night to uh, pursue what my wife said. You know, I was a legend in my own mind. So, <laughs> were, were you good, though? I was very good. I was, And then I, uh, after that, uh, I was a professional musician. And when I came back to the Lord at 20 years old uh, with the Jesus Movement, I started playing guitar with a guy named Russell Taff, who's a... you. Would, People would probably know his name. He's a Dove Award. Um, and we had the first, probably that I know of, the first rock gospel group in the South back in the in the early uh, 1970 or 71. I don't know the exact years, but somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, was very rejected there. No church would have us, you know. And, of course, now it's common for that to have um, upbeat, uh, more, um, you know, modern music. But it wasn't then. So, um, so that was that. And then I... Uh, I let go of that, and because of a dream I had from the Lord and a visitation about ministry and, and uh, about the prophetic that he wanted to bring me into. Tell, tell me about that in more detail. Well, the, I had two things, the dream, or the, the dream, and then there was a visitation from Jesus himself that followed the dream. But I have to be brief on the dream. It was just that I was traveling, uh, in, in this dream, I was traveling across a bridge with uh, all the men, uh, the guys in my band, uh, it wasn't my band; it was Russ's band. Where I just played guitar, 
And uh, I had just gotten rededicated to the Lord, so I was. We were playing in churches again. We were playing rock gospel. It was sort of ahead of the curve, but at any way, the spirit of God was strong on us for youth and evangelism. And I was traveling. We were going to Nashville to cut our first album. I already taken the picture for the album. And in the dream, uh, the Lord stopped me, and and I stopped. And they went across the bridge, and I saw them fade away in the darkness. And I said, "Oh Lord, what what's going to happen to me?" And I looked to the heavens. And where the Big Dipper was, there was two Big Dippers. Instead of two, there were one, there was two, and they were uh, um, together, and they began to pour out upon my head. And there was this oil in these dippers that poured out in this vision, dream vision, out upon my head. And the two dippers were two distinct ministries. I knew that at the time. And um, that became one stream on the top of my head. And I woke up out of that dream sweating, and, uh, and, and but with the Spirit of the Lord all in the room and had to tell them, I no longer can be a musician. Um, you know, for, even for the Lord, I'm called to other things. And now, what were the two things you saw that you're supposed to be doing? You know what? It took me a while to figure what they are, because what I did was I watched my life to find out what the two prominent uh, giftings rose in my life that were one stream, and they were uh, prophetic and teaching and prophet and teacher. And uh, I thought it was pastoring at first because I love people and I wanted to pastor, pastor. But um, when I would go out to minister, people never called me back because I was a great pastor. They would call me back because of revelation I had either over the Word or revelation about things that were coming to pass in the prophetic. So it became apparent to me that the uh, revelatory gift uh, in my life was in one stream in the area of prophesying in words of knowledge as well as unveiling uh, revelation in the Scripture. That became clear to me by the time I was 25 that that was my path, and and that's what I've been doing other than uh, pastoring 10 years of my life, which um, which was a good experience, but it wasn't my primary uh, calling. Uh, my primary calling, as he said, came right after that dream where I had a visitation from the Lord. Not a, not a vision, but a, literally I was wide awake, and the Lord came to me and stood before me and talked to me. And uh, well, let's find out more about that on tomorrow's broadcast, but uh, I also want to hear many of the things he's prophesied that have come to pass, and I also want to know the prophecies that he sees that have not come to pass yet. But uh, your book, Original Breath, it's the newest book that you have, and you're the two-CD set, Breath of Heaven. Uh, you talk about an area that, and I guess it has a lot to do what you're calling, but it has a lot to do with uh, the, the way you were raised as a child, that you, uh, you had such a negative image of yourself, but most people, they don't realize it, but they're copies and they're not originals. Speak to that for a minute, because that's what your book that you have and the two CD set are all about. Well, they don't realize the latent giftings and potentials that they have inside them that God has given them because they're so blinded by their own upbringing that might have been bad or the bad perspective of themselves in the book. And the CD series is alerting them to the fact that they're an original and God breathed an original impartation into their life that no one else owns. They own a piece of God's breath that like Adam owned, that no one else owns, they just haven't discovered it yet. So, that's... So, so why do people copy everyone else rather than be the original God created them to be? I think it's, again, I think it's insecurity, because uh, here's one of, the, one of the things the Lord said to me many years ago is, Larry, you have to be, there's some things you have to be, and I guess this goes back to the visitation that Jesus talked to me, but afterwards he said, you have to be real, you have to be genuine, and you have to be, uh, and have to be as humble as you know how to be, 
and you have to be you have to be authentic because the anointing is attracted to authenticity and um, and I realize that that true anointing is comes out of authenticity he said you know because when I go to heaven Jesus is not going to ask me how come I wasn't Moses he's not going to ask me how come I wasn't Billy Graham he's going to say how come you weren't Larry how come you didn't uh, Larry, I'm sorry, we're out of time right now, but I want to tell you something. Larry is prophesying another outpouring of the Holy Spirit greater than Pentecost that, that is coming to the U.S. He talks about it, how to prepare for it, and how to be the person God's called you to be rather than a copy. Isn't it time you're authentic? So we're making the two-CD set and a bonus CD for what this proven prophet sees in detail for the future of the United States and the world. And the book, Original Breath, available for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. Larry Randolph is red hot for the Messiah. Uh, He has a very well-respected gift of prophecy, but he was as messed up as every one of us was at one point in his life. He had uh, as negative an image of himself as almost anyone you could uh, imagine. Uh, uh, It's a miracle. He is who he is today, and a lot had to do with a visitation he had from the Lord when he was in his 20s. Tell me about that. Yes, it, that uh, plays into the storyline we're talking about, uh, about insecurity and not being a copy. I was in my early 20s, and I had, as we said in the last session, that I had just uh, finished with um, playing with the um, uh, gospel group and decided, the Lord decided I was going to do something different. So I settled into my first year of being a kind of assistant staff pastor at a church in Arkansas. I was going to sleep one evening, fall, I think it was end of September, uh, 1st of October, and um, I, my bed was by, the wind, there was a window right by my bed that looked out into the yard where great oak trees were at. And the leaves had been falling off the trees, and it was turning autumn, and the leaves were falling off and, uh, at that time of the year. And as I was drifting off to sleep, I was awakened by the sound of uh, leaves crunching under the, someone's foot. Now, and I heard it at the front of the house, and it was coming. I could hear it walking toward my bedroom where I was laying not even 12 inches from a window open with a screen over the window letting the autumn air you know, blow in on my face. And uh, immediately I was afraid because I thought it might be a burglar because there was a rumor that burglars were in the area, so fear gripped me. But as I heard the steps, I could hear it wasn't a dream, it wasn't a vision. I was wide awake, and I could hear the steps turn the corner of the house coming toward the window. And when the steps turned the corner, the Spirit of God fell on me as heavy as I've ever felt that anointing of the Holy Spirit. And um, up to the window, uh, the Lord comes, and it was it was Jesus the Messiah, and uh, he bent over and uh, put his face by the uh, cheek of his face by the screen of the window. Now, at this point, he had to say a word now, uh, to me, but all of a sudden, the whole room turned into what I call liquid agape, liquid love. I, I understand that, because the day I got saved, that's what happened to me. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Just it was, it was like there was a fog in the room, and it was the most beautiful, warm, inviting red color I'd ever seen. And I realized that red fog in the room was visible, manifest, liquid love of God, love of, of this Jesus. 
And as it began to settle on me, I, when I, would, I couldn't hardly breathe because it was so heavy. But when I would breathe in, like everything in me that was insecure would leave. Everything in me that was fearful was, was medicated by this wonderful love of God. And I realized at that moment, Sid, a couple things. And it, not realized because I realized because the Lord, how do I say it? He spoke audible words later. At this time, it was just a thoughts coming from him. And I realized this is his attitude. His posture was this. I love you unconditionally. There's nothing you could ever do or ever say. There's nothing you could ever be different that would ever deter my love for you. You're unconditionally accepted, unconditionally loved, and you're in my brace forever and forever. And that was the most overwhelming thing I'd ever in my life felt from anyone, anything that, that unconditional love was available to me for the rest of my life if I would embrace this. And then, after lying there, and I began to weep, and the Lord, then he spoke to me, and these words were audible. He said, look at your hands. And so I thought, that's an interesting, you know, <laughs> Jesus comes all the way from heaven, and he tells me, look at my hands. I thought he would give me a revelation or something, you know, but, and it was. I just didn't know it. So I looked at my hands, and he said, as I looked at my hands, he said, look close at your hands. And I looked close, and this is what he said to me out of Psalms, um, 139.14, David said, for I am awesomely and wonderfully, that word wonderfully means distinctly, uniquely. I am uniquely made by the marvelous works of God, which is the unique or distinct works of God. So he quoted that scripture to me, David said, I am marvelously and wonderfully made by, by God. And he began to say to me, there's no one that has your hands. No one has your fingerprints, Larry. No one has your DNA. No one has your 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 mind, no one has your gifting. You are an, a unique expression of an original breath that I breathed into Adam in Genesis 1 that has been transferred, and now I'm breathing that into you, and I want you to live your life like that. He said this about my hands. I don't want you to ever hit anyone with your hands. I don't want you to push with your hands. I don't want you to slap with your hands. I don't want you to have a closed fist. I don't want your hand to be closed in greed. I want you to live with an open hand, a unique open hand, hand of loving, a hand of caring, a hand of blessing, a hand of ordination, a hand of healing, a hand of comfort. And because you're, this is what he said to me that so floored me, Said he said, Larry, you are my, you and the rest of the people of God are my hands extended on this earth. I can't be there in a physical form. You have to do for me what I would do if I was there. And, and, and so what you're saying is, could you picture Jesus making a fist and socking someone in the nose? Never in a million years. Never. But, Never. Uh, and, and you know what Larry was told by God transformed his life? and allowed him to step into his destiny. But God is saying the same thing to you. Uh, Larry, would you speak on behalf of God to those listening and let them know that what God said to you, he's saying to them right now? Absolutely. Yes, when he, when he said, look at your hands, and, and you're my hands extended, and he said, when you touch people, when you love people, it's the same as me touching them, loving them. I am doing it through you. I am the breath in your breath. I am the DNA in your DNA. I am all that I am you can be. Because the Scripture says, "We, as he is, so are we in this world. Well, Sid, that means I wasn't like that. I was insecure. I was, you know, I was bad self-image. So something had to change. 
And I get to think, well, someone's got to change. Well, God changes not, so guess what? <laughs> that bad image of me has to change. So I had to, so I had to adopt an image of a God that loved me and that would want to use my hands and that made me unique. And, and this is what he said to me, you know, Larry, if you don't be what I have made you to be, if you don't lose your, 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 your false self-image and this, this low self-esteem and this shyness, and if you don't become what I've called you to be, the world will go without seeing that's part of my personality because you are a unique, once-in-a-lifetime Mona Lisa. No one else can copy who you are. You're not supposed to do someone else's ministry. I've called you to do your ministry, and your ministry is reflect a part of my heart that only you understand and know because I've given you an original breath that others uh, don't have. They have their own original breath. So he said to me, never be a copy. You know, uh, most Christians are born, uh, uh, you know, to overcome, and most Christians are born in originals. The tragedy is they die a copy. And I decided right then, and I speak to the people out there, listen, when God breathed into you, when God, you know, when I mean even at birth, because as Romans says at 8, Romans 8.29 says, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. That word predestined is horizo, where we get our Latin word horizon. In other words, he set your horizon. If he foreknew you, he set the landscape of your life. He gave you a personal landscape, a personal horizon, and that was to be conformed into the image of God. That's what Paul said in the book of Romans. So I say to you that even if even at birth God breathed an original breath into you, that was like Him, full of you know uh, healing, full of love, full of compassion, full of boldness, full of entrepreneurship, full of creativity, full of gifting. So that's who you are in God. And if you are not that, and you feel other things, then those are nothing but false feelings that are. Uh, that they're trying to circumvent, are trying to usurp, rather, the place of the Christ that lives in you. Because what did Paul so, say? He said, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And he said he lived by that greatness of Christ uh, in him. So I want to encourage people out there to, uh, to, to find your path in God. Find out who God has called you to be. God's not called me to, to pick up Smith Wigglesworth's anointing. Are as much as I respect that, he's not called me to pick up Catherine Kuhlman's anointing. Much as I respect that, I have an anointing. You have an anointing that they didn't have. No one else has, and it would be a shame in God's ecosystem for you to die and not be you, and the world go without seeing what God has invested in you. The world already knows what He's invested in other people. So being a copy of someone else, I don't mean it's bad. I don't mean you can't use and and and, and facilitate some of their anointing. But the world is not looking for a redo of someone else. The world is looking for someone who carries an authentic expression of a God who's so big that he had to have ten names just to capture his personality in the Old Testament. Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rapha. I mean, that's how big his personality is. Even ten names couldn't capture all of his personality. So um, I would just want to encourage people to be yourself, you know, break through the constraints that are on you or the abuses you suffered as a child or the insecurities or the way, because that's not who you are. That is the diagram, the blueprint of the enemy to distract you from being the overcoming expression of a wonderful God who made you after his own image. Now, Larry Randolph, you see him today teaching, prophesying major events. Uh, but Larry, if God hadn't visited you in your early 20s, uh, you had such a negative image of yourself. Uh, could you have possibly fulfilled your destiny of prophesying these major events? 
I could not. And let me tell you why it's so clear to me the, the link for that was and is. One of the reasons I'm able to do what I'm doing now and in the ministry now is because of what I learned about being authentic and about being real and original. Because this is what I learned about that, is that God shares secrets with his friends. And if you become a friend with someone, you, you have to be authentic. The only way you develop true friendship is to be yourself. You have to let your guard down. You have to be authentic. You have to be real. And I felt that part of God's work in my life to, to get me to become real and authentic opened the door for him to share secrets, because friends don't share secrets with friends who are not themselves or they're trying to be someone else. They share secrets. They share their things uh, with them that they can trust them with and, and they just love communicating with. So sometimes when I get things with the Lord, it's like I'm just talking to the Lord. We're having a good time. And it's like he's fellowship with me and he lets things slip. I know that's terrible to say it that way, but because friends do that when they talk, they go, they just, they tell you things they wouldn't tell someone else. But I think that the core value, the, the, uh, the nexus for that, the tipping point for that has to be the authenticity and the realness and um, and uh, and the sense of self-esteem that you are a reflection of Christ. When you have that, God can just trust you with gifts of the Spirit and and words of the Spirit and things that come to you. Well, you you, you described earlier this week uh, uh, that you were such a negative person that you didn't have many friends uh, that uh, you were just plain miserable. Uh, let let me ask you this question: uh, You you knew how you were. Today, when you look at yourself in the mirror, who do you see? When I look at myself in the mirror, when I used to look at myself in the mirror, there was disdain. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. When I look at myself in the mirror today, honestly, what I see is uh, there's a—I'm going to say it the only way I know how to say it, Sid, because words can't quite capture it. There's a part of God somewhere in his enormous character and nature that looks like me because I come from him. So when I look at that, I don't mean I'm in love with myself. I don't mean that I'm full of pride. I mean I'm looking at this treasure that we have in an earthen vessel, as Paul talks about. I'm a treasure. You're a treasure. Everyone listening is a treasure because there's a part of God that looks like every person. In other words, we were a dream in God's heart before the foundation of the world, and your birth was a dream come true. So God, I believe, visits every birth to see if the dream come to pass that he dreamed about us. That's what Paul said. He predestined us. In other words, he foreknew us, and he set her rising before the foundations of the world. So, so when I look in the mirror, I look and I say, wow, I'm looking at a dream come to pass that was in God's heart billions of years ago. I, I am indebted now to become all I can be, to make him proud, to be as much like the dream that he dreamed about me that I can be. So I refuse the nightmare the enemies tried to, tried to tell me I am, and I accept the dream come true that God has made me to be. I, I, I'm just curious, people that have read your newest book, Original Breath, uh, have you heard of testimonies of, oh, in fact, I, I seem to recall that you were talking about this at, at a meeting one time, and you released the people to say honestly who they believe that Jesus called them to be. Yeah. Um, well, tell me about that. I tell I, I've been doing that in a few meetings. By the way, I was going to say there's one church I know of in California that's using my book for their whole um, um, Bible study every week to, to try to pull themselves out of the constrictions and self bad self-images, etc. So I just got some information from them talking about how their life had been changed and, and the concepts that changed their life, etc. 
because there's a world full of hurting people, and low self-image is pretty much the high bar for many in the church. So, uh, but what I do, and sometimes said, is I will, when I feel this, I will gather when people are in room, and I will say, okay, I, I want to, I, I want to bless you. And the blessing, what does a father do when he blesses his children? He gives them permission to become all that they can become and what they're destined to be. He doesn't put on them what he thinks they're supposed to be. He gives them permission. So the scripture says, you can whatsoever you loose on earth can be loosed in heaven. So I loose on earth what's already loosed in heaven in their life. They just don't know it. So I give them blessing. I say, tell me your deepest dream that you're afraid to tell someone because you think they'll laugh at you. Tell me the thing that you think that you're called to be, but your insecurity won't let you. And when you say it out loud, I will bless you and I'll give you a father's blessing and prophesy you over you as Jacob did his sons to be what God has called you to be. And Sid, the amazing testimonies on that that come back are incredible because most people have been told they can't do it, they can't make it, they're stupid, they're poor, they're, you know, their parents maybe have told them that, other people have told them that. So it breaks that negative voice and it declares the positive voice, that original breath in them. It releases that original breath so that they can exhale from their very heart, all that God has put in them. So it's almost like for the first time in their life, they have permission. They have permission. Absolutely. I talk about that in the book. There's permission to be what God has called you to be is probably one of the deficits in the church. We have very little permission to be an original because everybody wants to make us in their image, not in God's image. I wonder if you would pray this for the people just like you do at churches, to release them right now, to be the unique person that God created them to be. And if they only could comprehend two things, the love of God for them and how unique they are with a special destiny. Yes, I will do that. Father, we thank you for the expression of your wonderful, diverse nature. The universe is not able to contain the expression of such a diverse God. You're all in all. You're bigger than everything. And out of that, you have given us a piece of your nature and of your heart. And you have dreamed about us, and you've dreamed our destinies, and you've dreamed about us and what you wanted us to become. So, Lord, that dream that's in the people's hearts that are listening, that original intention, that original thought, that original breath of the Ruach, the breath of heaven that's in their spirit— I ask, Lord, that you would release it and that you would take from them the gag order that the enemy has put on their mouth and that the oppression that is upon them and the the sense of worthlessness is upon them. And, Lord, I release them become what you call them to be. And some of you, that means doctors. Do you know that doctors, many doctors, it's a gift from God. The church would be dead if there wasn't doctors that had a gift from God. Lawyers are a gift from God, if that's what God's called you to do. Preachers are a gift from God. Prophets are a gift from God. Midwives are a gift from God. Bankers are a gift from God. And so it's musicians and talent and creativity and actors and actresses. So it's not just releasing you to just be a few things, but releasing you to fit in this ecosystem that we call civilization right now in a way that God can use you. Like Daniel in Babylon was a governor like like Joseph was a CEO of corporate Egypt, and God helped him to come into his unique destiny that had never lived before. And so I declare to people, to your wildest dreams, your wildest heart pulse that says, I think I'm called to be that. Lord, we release them into that destiny, and we give them permission. Sid and I agree 
that they have permission to become what God has called them to be, regardless of what they feel. Larry, you find that your prophetic gift is keener, people being healed easier. Uh, Why now? Why wasn't it 30 years ago? Because I couldn't. You know what? You can only give away what you have. And the root of poverty is, is not money. The root of poverty is poverty of soul. And when you have a deficit in your soul, a negative in your soul, that's, that, is a, that is a root of real poverty. In other words, you cannot, you cannot encourage other people. You can't put blessing onto the people. You can't, you can't uh, uh, you know, pull people up to a higher level because you have that need in your life. And it's like you can't give away what you need. You know, the Scripture says comfort others with the same comfort you're comforted with. So you have to have that comfort to be able to do that, to be able to encourage, to be able to invest. Here's what I call it. We have a great deficit of compliment in the church. We don't know how to compliment one another because we've never felt worth anything. So you've got to lose that uh, sense of no self-worth. You lose that sense of, and to compliment and encourage, because the greatest gift you could ever have is the gift of encouraging other people. And, and, and you know, in our society, we are so self-centered. We're trained from little childhood to be self-centered. You're talking the opposite. I am. I'm talking. It's a spirit of it's a it's a spirit of soulish poverty. You cannot value and 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 compliment other people. You don't have a complimentary spirit. See, a, a prosperous spirit, a prosperous spirit is a complimentary spirit. And so when you have a prosperous spirit, you're constantly complimenting. You're constantly encouraging people. You're constantly seeing the gold in them, seeing the dream in them, seeing the original breath. And uh, They're not competition to you, are they, Larry? No, they're no competition. Matter of fact, you're hoping, you're hoping that, that, you know, that your ceiling is their ground floor. You're hoping they do better than you. You're hoping you would, I mean, it'd make our job easier to take them above and beyond you. John Wimber, who I was with for many years, used to say, uh, that the, the fivefold ministry, Paul said in Ephesians, is, is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Somehow in this kind of American culture, we thought there's only a few chosen people's obligation to do the work of the ministry when we are supposed to actually teach the people and equip them to do the work of the ministry. Jesus was comfortable saying, I love you so much. I hope you do greater works than I've done. As a matter of fact, you are going to do greater works than I have done. Oops, our time is out. But if you like this teaching, if you feel this will cause you to be catapulted into the destiny that God's called you for, and I believe that, that's why Larry Randolph wrote his book, Original Breath, and his two-CD set is going to talk about a prophetic move of God's Spirit like the world has never seen and how you can be equipped for it and a bonus CD for what this proven prophet sees in detail for the future of the United States and the world. Do not miss what God has for you right now. I tell you, you don't want to die a copy. You want to die an original for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, I'm going to have Larry Randolph, who is my guest, uh, share some major predictions that God has told him that came true to the decimal point, and then new ones about ready to hit planet Earth. But none of this would have been possible 
if he hadn't had a visitation from the Lord. And the most recent one a year ago, it was life-changing for him. And I know it's going to be life-changing for you. Uh, Larry Randolph, tell me about that visitation. Yes. I, I want to start with by answering a question you asked me. Uh, you said to tell me something that will surprise you. You know, tell me something that you normally wouldn't tell that was yes. out of the ordinary. So this visitation, I had what I call bookend visitations by Jesus, the one in my early 20s, and I had one over a year ago, around a year ago, by Jesus himself, too. So I had two. But, but, but it started out with something that I don't tell people. And this is interesting. I, I had a dream that I was playing the most incredible instrument in heaven, and I was already in heaven before the Lord, and I was sounded like a cello and an organ. It was echoing off the corners of heaven, and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard in my life. And uh, now I had to lay down my music for 40 years for ministry. And I and so I got out of the bed and went on the floor and began to weep and say, God, did I lose that? that? Did I waste my time? Did I hear you? Did you give me music talent just for no reason? Anyway, I didn't get any um, real answer to that. So I go to sleep. And um, the next night at the foot of my bed, this is what I said I want to surprise you with. I don't know how people will take this. But I, the Lord appeared at the foot of my bed, as he has many times, and I woke up, and he was singing the song by uh, Rod Stewart, Have I Told You Lately That I Love You. Actually, it was written by Van Morrison in 83. And the song is, Have I Told You Lately That I Love You, That There's No One Else Like You, Take Away All My Sadness. It was a song sort of written to the Lord. There's a love that's divine, and it's yours in his mind. And I'm thinking, here's the Lord, you know, in front of me, and he's singing this song, I could hear, you know what, I was weeping like a baby, that the Lord would come to me and visit me and say, you know, you're so unique to me, precious to me, have I told you lately, you know, that I love you, and I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's incredible, and so um, that, I thought, what a visit, you know, I don't know if people will believe that, you know, I thought he sang really well, too, <laughs> but, uh, and I'd never been sang to by the Lord, so, that's that. So about, I don't know the exact time in weeks, but some, some few weeks later, I'm awakened again, and the Lord is in the room again. He's standing to the left of me. And this is um, what he says to me. He said to me, Larry, you know, it's been 40 years now since he visited me uh, in that big way. He visited me four or five times in between, but these are major uh, destiny visitations I'm talking about. And he said, Larry, you're going to come to see me pretty soon. So immediately I think, oh, my goodness. I'm going to die tomorrow, I guess. And uh, but then I thought, well, pretty soon with the Lord, I'm, you know, I'm um, in my 60s, early 60s. So pretty soon, you know, that you know, one day is a thousand years with God. So I don't know what that means. And this is what He said to me: You're going to come to see me, and when you come to see me, I don't want you to come with regrets in your life. I want you to come with no regrets because I want you to live the rest of your life in a zero regret mindset. And I go, Lord, what does that mean? He said this, I want you. And this, first of all, he said to me a little earlier, let me just back up a second. He said, if you were terminal with an illness, how would you live the rest of your life? I said, Lord, I would love people. I would maximize my talents. I would do give. I would give away everything you gave me. I would forgive people. And I even said, I will dance with my wife more. I would tell her I love her more. I, would, I went through this list and the Lord said to me, I want you to live the rest of your life like you were terminal tomorrow. So now I'm standing before him, and he's telling me I'm coming to see him soon, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm terminal. Then I realize everybody's terminal. When you're born, you're going to die one day. So, so I, so, and he's telling me, come with no regrets. I said, what does that mean? He says, Larry, 
You have to maximize every ounce of creative space I've given you in your life. Don't hide your talents in the sand, he, he, in the ground. He reminded me of the story of the steward that hid his talent. And that's what we do when we don't become what God has called us to become. That's what happens to us when God gives us such wonderful authenticity, such wonderful realness and an original breath. We, we, we hide it. And it didn't go well with that servant. And he said, so I want you to come for me. And I want you to have maximized every gift, every talent, every every unction, every dream, everything you want to do. And by the way, I want you to to come without not loving one person. You have to love. You have to forgive. There can be no uh, animosity because the scripture says if you if you say you love God and you don't love your brother, you're not telling the truth. Because because if I don't love someone and if I have unforgiveness. I am literally, that's that their reflection of God. No matter how in error they may be, God made them. They're a dream from God's heart. So I'm saying to the artist, I love the artist. I don't love his painting. I love him, but I don't love his pottery. And this writer said, you're a liar if you say that. So I said, Lord, I want to be able to say to you, I have lived a life of no regrets. And I remember the scripture that says, and the lamb shall take them by the living waters and wash the tears from their eyes. And I remember realized immediately those tears were tears of regret for not becoming what God had called us to become, and not forgiving whom God had called us to forgive, and not loving whom God has called us to love, not being able to say like Joseph, you might have meant it for evil, but God has meant it for my good. Your hurt, your rejection was really an opportunity for promotion in my life. And the Lord said to me, Larry, when you come, I don't want to wipe any tears from your eyes. I want to be able to look you in the eye and say, well done good and faithful servant. And I'm telling you, uh, Sid, I woke up out of that, uh, as I say, woke up, wasn't asleep, but I got up out of the bed. I was in a daze, and, and the room was buzzing with the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, I, and something happened in my heart over a year ago. I have no conflicts. I have nothing to prove. I have nobody to contend with. All I, I have one thing to do, uh, and that's, that's to mobilize and exercise. And every ounce of creativity God has called me. I'm going to be me. When I see Jesus, I'm going to be Larry. I'm going to be everything God has called me to be. I'm going to be different than anybody else, but I'm going to be a different in the way that I fulfill my differentness and become and had become what Christ has made me to be. And in that, I believe that I have, as all of us do, an eternal abiding place with God where we are a unique treasure, only one of us only one of us that uh, God can embrace for eternity of eternity. So, so if I'm understanding you right, after this visitation, something, I guess because of the, uh, the presence of God in the room, something changed inside of you. Well, what is, if I'm not being too personal, what was the first thing you did that you can remember uh, as a result of this visitation? I called my office and told my secretary, have I told you lately that I love you? because <laughs> I thought she was wonderful, but how many times should I to- should have told her she's doing a wonderful job? And I didn't, because she was. I was in my heart, but I didn't say it. I began to express what was in my heart more. Because I uh, said, here's the deal. The Lord said this to me, and not at that moment, but another time that tied right in. Larry, your gift and your ministry has become bigger than your heart. 
So I want your heart to be bigger than your gift. Because when you come to see me, you can't bring your gift with you. You can't bring your, you know, all that stuff with you. You have to bring your heart. That's what gets into heaven. You, you know what? That's such a profound, important thought. Would you say it again? I said we have come in ministry. I was in. I had come to the place of ministry where my my gift was bigger than my heart, and I didn't realize that my gift was straining under the weight. You know, and my heart, excuse me, was straining because it was so small under the weight of my gift. That's why men fall, because their hearts are smaller than their gift. I remembered it was said of Jesus, he was moved by compassion, then he healed the multitude. His heart opened the door to his gift. His heart was bigger than his gift. Paul said, desire, uh, pursue love, then desire spiritual gifts. So he set the chronological order, heart first, gift second. The Lord says, your gift is not coming into heaven. There's no, we don't need a word of knowledge in heaven. We don't need a healing in heaven. What's going to make it in heaven? Two things, Said your talent and creativity, which is music for me. So I'm going to be playing with David. I know that when I get there. <laughs> so my music wasn't a loss. And I also know that my heart is going to be there because Jesus said to one group of people, you said you cast out devils in your name. They said, we heal the sick. Our ministry, our gifts were great. He said, you know what? I never knew you. In other words, I never knew your heart. Me and you weren't friends. And I thought, how important is it? Gifts are important. Ministry, you better believe it. All that's important. But your ministry should not be, you know, your, your heart should not be running after your gift trying to stay up with it. Your gift should be trying to run after your heart. Your heart should be so big, miracles will happen, you don't even know it. You're just loving people, and now that love, people are healed. And you're so concerned about the compassion that Jesus was that the end result is the breath of heaven in their life. Release, because love never fails. Have people walked up to you and remarked, I see such a difference in you. What happened? Yes, the last year, year so people say you seem more fatherly and warm and open. And I started calling people and saying, have I told you recently that I love you and that I think you're incredible? And uh, and I, just recently I met with two people I'd had a conflict with. Not a bad one, you know, in, in the church, right. there's, you know, you know that. I used to joke and say, hey, it's all right. Do you have a conflict with me? I don't have any problem with you being wrong. <laughs> 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 but but I've I've met with them and said, see, I no longer have a pure, a, a poverty of soul. Said now I can compliment, now I can forgive because I don't have that need in my own life. I'm totally forgiven. I'm totally complimented by God, so I can give away. I don't, you know, now I can be I can be generous. The spirit of generosity for compliment is on me now. So I met two people recently that I had conflict with and said. I'm so sorry about the conflict. I don't care if it was your fault, my fault. That's irrelevant. That was in the past. I'm living a, not, a life of no regrets. I want to tell you something. You may have had some problems, or I may have thought you did, or it doesn't matter. The bottom is you're a gift of God, and you're an extraordinary person, and I see the gold in you regardless of what you see. Now, that's got to disarm anyone <laughs> that has an offense. I'll tell you what, we're out of time right now. Larry, as a result of this visitation, you are moving in keener prophecy and in, in, uh, in higher level miracles. Uh, and uh, But that's not the purpose. Uh, the purpose is you're beginning to learn to love the way Jesus loved, because you can love not out of a personal love deficit that you have yourself, but you are fully filled 
with the love of God so you have enough to give other people. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, tell me a couple major prophecies that you have given in your life that have come to pass. And by the way, it's like almost daily he opens his mouth and these prophecies come out. So tell me a couple of major prophecies. Yes. And by the way, the the prophetic comes to me not because I ever look for them, because I'm his friend, and he loves me, and I love him. He just shares things with me when I'm least expecting. So I'm never looking. But here's some of the, some of the major things, like 1994, the great floods that came in America. It's called the flood of the century. The Lord had talked to me, and I began to prophesy that the year uh, before that came, and um, actually told me that the newspaper would say the floods of the century, and it was called the flood of the century. Um, and um, uh, that was 1994. Um, 2006, the Lord uh, told me, uh, that the fall of 2007 would be the fall of the economy in America, uh, the economy uh, crush that we went through. And I uh, began to talk about uh, that uh, even more um, even more recently. I believe it's 2010. I uh, felt the Lord had uh, told me that there was going to be an explosion in the Gulf of Mexico and that the uh, I saw fire and I heard this loud boom and fire in the Gulf. Uh, that was that big oil spill you saw. Big oil spill, and I knew that it was a uh, it was going to affect the ecology, and I knew that. So I, I knew it so strongly. I this one connection I have that I called and said I there's um, I just want to alert you because um, you know they've asked me to alert them if uh, I see things, and um, so we have a history of that the things in the past I can talk about, but I. But I called them and said, uh, I saw a great explosion in the Gulf, and it's going to. And they asked me, is this going to be a terrorist-related? I said, no, it is not terrorist, but it will affect the ecology. It will affect the um, ecosystem and the whole Gulf. The whole Gulf will be, will be um, affected by this. It's very tr- drastic and very dramatic. And so they questioned me more about it, and they said, when? And I said, very soon. So that was actually six weeks, five or six weeks before the Gulf happened. Um, now, uh, you know, of course, that gives you credibility, and so I'm still, you know, um, um, still have that op- door open and that opportunity. Uh, tell, tell me a few things that you see happening in the future. You know, uh, last September um, th- in 2013, I was preaching, and I, I was in the middle of my preaching. It felt like I was above the globe looking. I saw different countries and different regions. And I saw a few things that that um, that were I would call it a vision, a, a momentary vision. When it, Paul said, "In between heaven and earth, I don't know if I was in the spirit of my body. I don't know." But this is what I saw. First, one thing I saw in uh, September, I saw a great wind stirring in the middle of the Pacific, and right in the middle of the Pacific, I prophesied these are all on audio. All these I'm going to say uh, that there would be a great wind, a great um, like a typhoon in the middle of a. Uh, of the Pacific, and that um, it was a part of God's awakening, uh, you know, to us to get our attention. Well, of course, that happened. I think it was the next uh, day or the next two days or sometime next week, whenever that great storm happened at the end of the year, but it was after that. Uh, some other things I saw, I could see around the globe. I saw in, in, in the North Korea and South Korea, I saw two things. I saw a wind of God in South Korea and a fire of God in North Korea. I saw that the wind of God was the breath of God, and the fire of God seemed to be the judgment of God. And the Lord said this to me in Korea, and I, did, I don't know if it's south or north, I'm assuming it's north, there was going to be a change in the government. And the Lord says that this is all I can hear, and the God says, he said, I will prevail. God will prevail. 
So I know that I saw that there was, uh, and I believe that's this year, and I believe that that's close. Or let me just say I believe that's close with God. It's hard to put exact times, it's the exact day, but it felt very, very, very close to me, all of these things. Well, what did you see about Russia? I just saw in Russia, this was again in September, I saw the Soviet Union, I saw a large angel come down from heaven, and he had a sword above his head. And he took the sword and he thrust it into the very heart of the Soviet Union. And this is what he said. He said, he, I said, there's going to be great conflict in Russia, but the plans of men will come to nothing. And God says, I will war against the plans of man. And I, that, of course, was not even relevant then. Now it's starting to unfold, and I'm seeing that. And I clearly heard God say the angel would put a heart through the plans of man there. So what they think they're going to do is not particularly what God is going to do. Reason being is, for a number of reasons, I see it, is because I saw right next to Russia, the Europe, and this is what God said to Europe. He said, I'm about to kindle. I saw a flame of the gospel kindle in Europe, and it was God remembering the blood of the Reformers and the historical church and all the churches and conventional churches in Europe. I saw God stirring up a Reformers anointing and relighting the gospel in Europe. And the Lord, I felt the angels say to me that time that the blood of the reformers were crying out from the ground. And um, I saw, uh, then I saw Mexico, and this is interesting. I saw one of the most violent shakings in Mexico. It was a violent trembling, like a shaking, is all I know, as God said, it would be a great sign. Then I saw South Africa, and I saw an ethnic conflict in South Africa that was terrible. I saw a conflict in the atmosphere, like the climate shift, but I also saw it climate, I don't know why the two, climate and cultural. And I felt there would be uh, tensions culturally that would be uh, uh, dire, and that there would be climate shifts that would be dire um, as well. I also saw Scandinavia, and the Lord said there's going to be the good and the bad coming to Scandinavia and to keep an eye on Norway. I don't know what that is, but something significant is uh, going to happen there. I also saw wonders in the sky, Sid, meaning, uh, and I felt now, what I saw is before the spring is over this year in 2014, I saw strange signs in the sky and wonders in the sky. You know, the Bible talks about there shall be signs in the heavens. And one of the things I saw, I don't know if it's tied into the wonders, was the magnetic fields of the earth out of phase. Something is happening magnetically, and I don't understand. Well, if that happens, it's going to affect our computers, our GPS, everything. Yes. Yes. It... I mean, that's going to be horrific. That could be, yes. I just, I don't know the implications. That's above my pay grade, so I don't know. Uh, did you see anything about Israel? Yes, absolutely. That's the one that, that shook me to the core because of my love for Israel and his people, was I saw the land of Israel, Sid, and I saw coming out of the dirt like, like a form would come out of the ground, and when it came out of the dirt, it rose up out of the dirt, and it was this light, bigger than life size of King David, and he was dressed for war. And he had his sword above his head. And the Lord said to me in this, in a prophetic form, that he's, he's calling the spirit of warriorship and the spirit of David out of the heart of Israel. And that just as King David took down Goliath, that Israel is going to take upon the spirit of David and in one day is going to take Goliath down. Because David said to Goliath, this day, well, first of all, he says, how dare you strip the armies of the living God. How dare you mock the armies of the living God? This day shall God deliver you into my hands. And he took one rock. I don't know why the rock was important. He took one stone, and he cast it at Goliath. 
And the Lord said to me, as Goliath is down and brought down, so shall Israel bring down its enemies. Okay, tell me quickly, Chris, our time's slipping away, USA. And the USA, he said to me that, that he, uh, he is going to humble national leaders in this nation. The humility was going to be very shameful and uncover. Now, I'd already heard a word from Bob Jones before he passed away that God was going to uncover Uncle Sam. And that's, Hmm. I call it Bob's way of saying, you know, uncover things that were hidden. But I saw even greater, greater than uncovering, I saw the senators, the leaders, all the way from the president, all the way down to the bottom being humbled because God loves this nation, and he's given us a short time of repentance, and he's given us a place to posture ourselves, because the best of the best and the worst of worst are coming at us. And the only hope out of any of this is humility. The Scripture says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, then he will exalt you. So if we don't humble ourselves, our leaders don't, then either we're going down, or God will humble them because of the righteous in this nation that are crying out, for the righteousness of God. I personally think that it's the hand of God that's humbling the leaders of our nation, not because he dislikes them, he loves them. They too are a part of his plan, whether they're not walking in it or not, they are a part of his heart. And the scary thing about God is not his blessing. The scary thing about God is his warring against you. Wow. I mean, you know, I mean, sometimes, uh, wow, his blessing is incredible and awesome. But when God wars against you, he does it like he did Saul. Uh, Larry, I, I, I just wish we had more time, but we don't. I, but something that is critical for those that are listening right now is your newest book, Original Breath, because this book will prepare you to be a habitation for God. You see, you are one of a kind. Why would you want to die a copy? You are unique and fearfully made, and there's an anointing that'll on this book that'll jump off of you and allow you to fulfill your destiny, and then two CDs which help you to prepare for the greatest move of God's Spirit in history that's right upon us, and a bonus CD for what this proven prophet sees in detail for the future of the United States and the world, available for a gift of $40. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.com. Org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. 
That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.